You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence, awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity, and there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly in today's chaotic world, mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. Zach Tucker and Jeremy Grader are the founders and hosts of the Fit Mess podcast, started in 2017. For nearly a decade, they have pushed themselves to learn more about their own physical, emotional, and mental health, which inspired them to help others. Their podcast has given them the opportunity to speak to a wide range of guests, including some of the biggest names in health and wellness. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. I'm excited too. I listened to your podcast. I thought it was great. And oh, I, thank you. I noticed in your intro, however, that you mentioned that Zach lives in the future with his anxiety and Jeremy lives in the past with his depression. Mm-hmm. Why don't we start with how the two of you came together and what inspired you to start a podcast? Well, we, uh, Jeremy and I met probably, let's see, our daughters are 11, so probably 11 years ago ish maybe oh actually closer to 12 um at the time both of our wives were were pregnant with our first children and they met at a group that was supposed to do i I believe a a triathlon after having babies so they were it was like a fit moms group and you know they were talking about their their spouses and like hey well my spouse like star wars so does mine and they were just like oh we should probably we should probably introduce these two geeks don't make um, me put on my Star Wars helmet. I've got it. Yeah. I've literally it's it's right here. I could put it right on. Exactly. So uh so I guess we met at a you know a brunch or or some breakfast or something like that. And our we sized each other up as most guys do and like, hmm, who's this guy? And talked about the Seahawks or the Mariners or you know, some other sports ball game that Jeremy likes to say. Um, but that's really how we met. And then over the years, we as as I was working through my own mental health struggles and my physical health struggles. And having some success at it, Jeremy was was doing a similar thing. So we just started bonding over some of those things, and also talking about how hard it is to be a dad, to be a man, to be a husband, to be a friend, to be a boss, to be a coworker, to be all the things that we have to be in this world. Um, and and we just started opening up to each other and having vulnerable conversations about, oh, you struggle with that too, <laughs> me too, and. It was really enlightening, really help helpful for 
you know, both me in my journey and him and his journey to be able to bounce back and forth. And I'm going to, I'll give it to Jeremy here in a second. But um, at one point he was doing another podcast and he stopped doing that podcast. And I was like, you know, people or guys don't have these conversations that we're having. Like they just don't. What if we just had these conversations on a podcast? How about we do that? Let's get all vulnerable and air our laundry and do all these things on a podcast. I think that's a great idea, Jeremy. Come on, let's go do it. And he said, hell no. <laughs> Absolutely not. That sounds insane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like he said, I, I had been doing another podcast for a long time and it was very different because my lifestyle was very different. It was basically me and my brother and a friend of ours getting hammered and telling ridiculous stories about our lives. And while it was fun and hilarious, it, my lifestyle changed and it didn't uh, play with that anymore. So the idea that Zach had of us being some sort of expert guru leader in, in health and wellness, when even today I feel weird, you know, dabbling with that at all. But at the time, I was like, this is all new to me. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, who's going to trust me? Why should I be the one to lead anyone on this journey? And uh, he made it clear, and all the other shows that I then went and researched showed that the, you don't have to be the expert. You can be the person who's just around the corner. You can be just a few steps ahead of somebody. And where you have knowledge gaps, you bring in the experts who can fill those gaps and share that information. And so the more I looked into it, the more I saw a lot of potential for not only helping an audience learn these things as we were learning them, but to hold ourselves accountable and to be a tool to keep us on track for the lives we were trying to build for each other. And uh, and it just, it just got really exciting. And here we are, I think, six years later, still doing this week after week, trying to help people find whatever path out of the darkness that it, that it takes to get there. Well, you know, I think that's great because I agree with you. Men have a much harder time, it seems, than women in kind of delving into really the raw stuff, you know what I mean? And so it doesn't mean that men don't need to more. So I'm I'm glad you're out there kind of in, encouraging others to do it. I wanted to talk a little bit about some parallels between my work and your philosophies. I'm working with a lot of people right now who are really resisting returning to on-site work. <laughs> so I'm implementing mm. motivation. Um, but I believe that motivation doesn't necessarily come first. Um, I think you start the thing and then the motivation comes. And so I'd like to hear your take on that. What, you know, how do you think motivation works or what can we do to get some? I think what you just said is exactly it. And I like to tell the story of uh, getting myself on a, a physical fitness routine that was new to me. I've always hated the gym. It just feels like a giant waste of my time. When I, when I think of me on a deathbed someday, looking back on all the hours of my life I would have spent in a gym, I'm like, oh God, what a waste of time. That sounds like lifting the same things over and over again. Hated it. But we ended up doing an interview with somebody who got me on the right course. He's like, the reason that sounds awful to you is because your why sucks. You don't have a reason that is bigger than not doing it to actually get you in the gym. But it was funny because it still took me a while to get to the point of doing it every day. And it started literally with putting on the shoes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was step two. Step one was I put it on my calendar. I was like, I'm going to plug in an hour every week that I'm going to go work out. At the end of the week, I look back at all of those hours that I didn't go and went, you had the time. It was right there on the calendar. You still didn't go. The next week, I put on the shoes. That's as far as I got. The week after that, I, I, the gym, by the way, the gym is a five-minute walk from my front door. Like I have, I have no, and it's free. It's, there's no excuse. So I put on the shoes, and then I walked to the gym. And then the next day, I went in the gym. It was just this slow, incremental, like just prove to yourself you can do each step of this. And over, over time, that became just the thing that I do every day. I didn't have to wait for, oh, do I feel like it? 
or have that negotiation every morning of, uh, I don't know, I'm tired. I got, I have a lot of work to do. I should really just focus on work and get it done. But then I end up at the end of the day, miserable because I didn't move my body. None of the energy that's turned into this anxiety and depression rattling around in my head was able to get processed and moved out of my body and help me feel better. And then naturally when you do that, you're more motivated to eat better because you don't want that time to be wasted. So it's just this building block of just taking the whatever this is the thing. Everyone thinks, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to go to the gym twice a day and I'm going to drink 2 gallons of water and I'm only going to eat 200 grams of protein and that I'm doing that tomorrow." And that lasts about 12 minutes and then you give up and wait till next Monday. So you have to really start with those small tiny steps to where it becomes that really the motivation becomes the habit of it. It's just you feel weird not doing it. That's motivation. The inspiration, that feeling of like, oh, I'm really excited. I'm going to go for a run today. And then you blow out an ankle and you're on the couch for six weeks. And well, that was dumb. I'm never doing that again. You just, it's a matter of just building really small, really slow, progressive steps forward to make motivation really just be habit. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I, because I think any change, we do much better if we take baby steps. And I, and I agree with you. And, I, and I've done this. I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it right now. I'm safe. And I'm like, okay, I've got to get back into shape. Like I'm going to suddenly, you know, I don't know, stop working 12 hours a day and just focus on my, it just doesn't right. work that way. Right. Right. So it's got to be small. I know for me too, it's got to be small or I just, it feels overwhelming. Absolutely. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, and again, a lot of my work is focused on this is, is the stress in our lives that is actually self-created. And when I talk about this in workshops, most people are like, I don't create my own stress, <laughs> but we do, right? Uh, yeah. The majority of our stress we're creating because of maybe not minding our minds very well. But um, what do you think about that? Do you think we cause our own problems, a lot of them? Absolutely. Uh, one of my, and I'm going to butcher the quote, um, and it, and now I'm blanking on who it's from, but that, you know, the one quote that goes something like, you know, I've suffered a great many things in my life, most of which never happened. Mark. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for some reason I was thinking Plato and I was like, that's just the complete wrong time era. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I have. So, uh, to, to your earlier comment of like, I live in the future with my anxiety and I just thought this was normal. Like I just thought it was normal to be like, okay, I have to talk to so-and-so tomorrow about this thing. It's a little controversial. There might be a little conflict. Let me just play out the 150 different ways this could possibly go and have each one of those conversations and emotionally react to each one of those conversations so that I can be prepared to have this conversation tomorrow. And then the conversation tomorrow is not one of those 150 things that I actually went through, was not anything that was a big deal. Right. So, I mean, that's just a ton of stress that I created for myself for this one thing that literally didn't need to happen. So I, I, ha I have, and I've recognized this, this is my own personal uh, issue that I've, I've done so much work on to the point where 20 years ago, I would create so much stress of just going to the grocery store to get food so I could eat that I wouldn't go to the grocery store. Right. That my anxiety was so bad. And now today, like, you know, I still have it and I still have those thoughts. I'm like, okay, well, nope, let's look back. Where's the evidence that, you know, you're going to run into somebody and have to have a conversation with them that you don't want to have or something like that. So I completely agree. We all create bigger problems out of the actuality of, of what we're facing. 
um, across so many different aspects of our life. Like, you know, in Jeremy's example, like going to the gym, right? It's usually not that bad. Like once you get there, you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to lift, I'm going to lift the things. I'm going to do the things, but just the, the thought of going to the gym, if you can just get past that, getting your shoes on and getting to the gym, you're golden for the most part. Um, so I totally agree with that. I personally live with that. I think a lot of people live with that. Um, but I have recognized now like, okay, no, you need to stop. You need to take a few deep breaths. And there's a whole bunch of tools and techniques to kind of interrupt that thought pattern, but, but it's a thought pattern and it's something that is well-worn in a lot of us. So it's really hard to interrupt that. And it's really, I'm going to say uncomfortable to really dive in and kind of admit that you have that kind of an issue. And, and then the next step of, of, of fixing that, right? How do you interrupt it? How do you have a different thought? How do you let things go and not worry about them? Uh, I still haven't quite figured that part out hundred percent, but you know, there's a lot of tools and techniques that you can do it. Like we've got wearables that really help bring your nervous system down. Like I said, breathing, like just taking those few moments to, to pause and reflect and truly understand why am I worried about this? Because what you think you're worried about is usually not what you're worried about. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because I do a lot of leadership coaching. And I've had clients say, no, but I have to worry. And so it, it it's clearly, there's also a piece around it of maybe trying to control, I think, you know, somehow you can control the outcome by worrying about it in advance. Or like you said, coming up with every scenario that could possibly happen. And I'd say 90% of the time, none of those come up. And so mm-hmm. we spend... To me, so much time wasting energy, you know, worrying about something that could happen in the future. And that's where, you know, of course, I use mindfulness all the time. People mm-hmm. ask me, how am I not stressed because my schedule is so packed? It's like, I don't even look at tomorrow. I just literally get up in the morning, look at my calendar in the morning, go, what do I need to do today? And stick to the calendar. And then that's it every morning. Um, it's rare. You know, it has to be some big thing that I've you know, don't know what I'm doing usually that I'm worried about. That's about it. And then even that, it's like, okay, then just get it over with and done, whatever it is. And it, I just find it's, it makes life so much more enjoyable. It's uh, funny you say that because to me, uh, the, the other part that I wanted to add to what Zach was saying was about control. What's in your control? How much stress do we create about how is so-and-so going to react? How are they going to feel if I'm five minutes late? What's going to happen if I don't do this and that person is disappointed? Why are you responsible for someone else's feelings? Why are you responsible for the way other people react to you? If you're doing your best and you're not trying to be offensive, like, cool. But so much of our of our stress and that worry is what's in my control? Okay, yes, an earthquake could happen. So I do have an emergency kit. Do I worry about it every day? No, because it's in the shed. It's there. And when it need, when I need it, it'll be there. So there's there's a place for worry or planning, preparing, but that that constant like all that stuff that's so beyond your control, just w- literally like you talked about, what's in front of me, what's on my plate today? Sure, what's coming up? What do I need to be prepared for? Do I have the right thing for that event or whatever? But put that on the calendar, give it its place, and then get back to focusing on what's right in front of you because all you can focus on or all, all you have control over is you and the way you react to situations. Everything else has nothing to do with you, frankly. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's unsettling. And especially since the pandemic, it's gotten much more, I don't know, much more intense. But there's this feeling of uh, that somehow we had control over life before and now we don't. <laughs> it's like, right, right. We don't have control over much, like you said. It's just <laughs> right. ourselves and maybe what what's within our little sphere here. And that's about it. And yeah. so 
the the anxiety that gets just so heightened by trying to think ahead of what might happen or conversely rehashing what's already happened, right? Because that's the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a habit, I think, for people that it really, it's startling to them when I say, but you don't have to do that. There's no reason to do that. It doesn't do you any good. And if we could all just maybe calm down a little bit, I think everybody would feel better. I don't think we can get rid of anxiety or worry completely, but I think it could be much more, uh, you know, just a minor blip instead of, and like, actually, I like what you said too, with, um, I, I don't mean not to plan. You can plan what's going to happen. I had to plan for this interview, you know, yeah. hear your podcast yeah. and read about you. You know what I mean? But it's mm-hmm. not worrying about talking to you. You know, it's just, okay, right. I'm as prepared as I can be to talk to two guys I don't know. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. That's it. So, yeah, I, I, um, so again, I've got so many tools and techniques for my anxiety. And you just hit on like a very key one that you're never going to get rid of anxiety. You're never going to, like, it's built in. And I've told so many people this the day that I realized that I'll never fix my anxiety was the day I was able to accept it and the day I was able to make friends with it. And literally, when it goes off, when the, when that smoke detector goes off and like, you need to prepare for this conversation because it's going to be the worst thing in the world and everything's going to go kaput because of this one thing. I stop and I go, hey, anxiety, thank you. I love you. I absolutely love you. Thank you for trying to protect me. Thank you. You're the best. There's no tiger. There's nothing trying to kill me right now, but thank you. Appreciate you. You can go back to sleep. You're good. Like that switch of just realizing that you're going to live with this forever but and you need to you need to figure out how to love it you need to figure out how to be okay with it you need to figure out how to coexist with it as opposed to it going fire danger everything's going to burn down no love it tell it to be quiet and move on with your day yeah and and it's it's just one aspect of us right it's not who we are it's just it's it's a part of us um, I get it. I mean, I think everybody gets it at some point, but I know it, it's funny that you say that because, and of course in mindfulness, one of the activities is labeling, you know, how we're feeling. And every, I've noticed a, a definite pattern, but every time I'm frequently doing things where I've never done it before. And so when I get a call and it's like, could you do this? And it's, you know, some big, I don't know, write a bunch of curriculum for something I don't think I really know enough about. I get that. I don't know what you call it, that clench of the stomach right away. It's anxiety. It's like, oh, should I say yes? Should I say no? Should I try this? But it lasts a very limited amount of time only because I say, okay, this is just anxiety. Relax. Take a look. You can figure it out. And then I'm fine again. But mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I can't imagine many people who don't have any anxiety. And I know lots of people who have constant anxiety at some level. But again, if you recognize it's just one aspect of you, it's not everything that you are. And you do develop the skills. I mean, I think that's important that you do have to have the skills. And I also have a big toolkit of things because mm-hmm. different things get me, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, it's knowing that, oh, no, okay, it's time to go do this now because I can feel it rising instead of letting it kind of rule your life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it serves a biological need. You can't live without anxiety. Like we've, we've evolved to still have it because it warns us about the tiger. It, it warns us about being too close to the cliff. It warns us about driving too fast on the freeway. Like, it has a biological purpose, but controlling it, becoming uh, friends with it, giving it its place and acknowledging when it's out of control, like you said, those are the keys. Those, the, and and mindfulness is such a, an important part of that practice. It's one of those important tools to help you discover the awareness, to discover, oh, 
That's what that is. There's, there's no fire. I'm good. When, when you practice mindfulness, it becomes a lot easier to recognize those triggers or on the other side of it, when it's, you know, the depression and the voices in your head that have been telling you for your entire life, what a horrible person you are and nobody loves you and you're the worst. And, and when you can stop and go, Oh wait, no, those aren't my thoughts. I picked those up somewhere. That's, that's not real. That's just this thing that it's, it has a purpose. It, it's preventing me from repeating mistakes from the past so that I don't do them again in the future. But when you hang on to them and they control you, that's when it's problematic. And so that's, that becomes the practice of naming it, taming it and moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and the difference, it's kind of a, a spiral because if you get lost in either of those depression or anxiety, then of course you can't think as clearly because you're in full defense mode, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And then that's when you do make more mistakes or you do something that you wish you hadn't done. You know what I mean? And so then it just sort of affirms, see, you know, I'm not good enough or yeah. terrible or whatever. And if you, if you can just kind of, again, just stop long enough to pause and go, oh, there's, there's that voice or there's that anxiety or there's that, oh, I feel depression coming on. Um, I, I've really rarely in my life been depressed until, I don't know, about maybe three months into the shutdowns. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, yeah. And you're right, because I practice mindfulness. At first, I didn't recognize it. You know, I just thought, oh, it's just boredom or whatever. And then I realized, no, this is slipping into something else. And then again, you know what to do, whether it's to go to your own toolkit or whether it's to call a therapist or, you know, whatever you need. So I do think mindfulness is key to that because I think I went through the first 35, 40 years of my life oblivious to anything going on internally. It was always just keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I had to, of course, something happened that caused a big stop to go, oh, I got to deal with my issues. But mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter which, which emotion or which condition or even which, if you have an illness, it doesn't really matter which one it is. It, what's important is that you recognize what it is and accept that it's happening and then take whatever steps you decide are best for you. So thank you for that. So of course, all of my work is grounded in mindfulness and authenticity a lot. And that includes, you know, making yourself vulnerable, which a lot of leaders don't like doing. And so I agree with you that vulnerability is a strength, but I'm really curious, not only why you think it's a strength, but how did you find the courage, especially because of some of your own issues to be so vulnerable? I think it was a lot of trial and error, honestly. I mean, I, I, just thinking of my relationship with Zach, there, there, was a, there was a moment. I mean, like you said, there was sort of the sizing up, the guys keeping each other at a distance for a while. Uh, I don't remember how far into knowing him this happened, but uh, I was, I was sort of trying to work on my boundaries, right? Like when, when I've had enough, can I remove myself from a situation, even though like socially I'm expected to stay there and participate. There was one birthday party we were at. I don't remember, even remember which kid it was for, but it got to be too much for me. Like I just, I don't do well in big groups of people, lots of noise, lots of just things. It's just too much. It's overwhelming. And I felt myself like shutting down and I just, I, I just left. I ghosted. I didn't tell anybody. I literally went out to the car. But I think Zach saw me leave because a few minutes later, he was right there at the door going like, are you okay? What's up? And I was able to share with him like, yeah, this is, this is where I'm at. And it like solidified for me, like, okay, this guy's, he's aware, like he gets what's going on. But that was one lesson in, by taking care of myself, by being open, by answering the question of what's wrong, I formed this bond that, you know, has lasted years. And I have this resource in him where when times are tough, I can turn to him and he's an ear for me. This week, he unloaded on me for an hour of all the stuff that was going on in his life. 
And I think the, you know, the main takeaway here is through being vulnerable, whatever you need shows up. When you express, this is what's missing from my life. This is what I need from you. This is what I need from this experience. Someone's always got an answer. It just, it just has a way of appearing. And so we hold in, especially as guys, we hold it all in. We don't tell anybody. And then we wonder why life's so miserable and nothing ever goes our way. And it's a challenge and everything's hard. It's because we never just flat out say, this is what's wrong. Can somebody help me fix it? And then all of a sudden it gets fixed and the burden is lifted and your life is easier and, and more fulfilling, I guess, for lack of a better word. So I just think that there is so much strength in recognizing that it's okay to share those feelings and to share those struggles. Because as guys, like we're not told that that's okay. We are, we are not raised to share that stuff. We are raised to, and you still see it, all this toxic stuff online to all these guys, you can't cry in front of a woman because she won't respect you and she'll leave you and blah, 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 blah. Nonsense. It's just complete nonsense. There is a balance, right? Like there, there is, uh, by, by being vulnerable, by being open, by showing your emotions. Some people say that's showing more feminine qualities. I think it's just showing more human qualities. It's, it's just becoming a more full, complete human being. It's not about being more feminine. It's about just being a human being and being authentic and real, uh, and it just it just leads to some so much more of a, a fulfilling and and rewarding life experience rather than playing this character and and having to be the the stoic you know robot in the room that doesn't ever feel anything yeah it, it's really admirable and again i agree with you i mean i just think the expectations are so unrealistic um and i think too and I, and i don't know i would love to hear your opinion about this but i also think there's something to the fact that as the world is evolving, you know, society sort of evolving in some areas, um, things change drastically as far as women's roles, but men just kind of got stuck in then what's maybe their role. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of men who, who still like, or I talk to even more women who say, well, for some reason, he still thinks he has to be like, you know, the breadwinner or the man of the house or something. And, and I believe that's from all this conditioning, but as women sort of I don't know, uh, evolved into like working outside of the home and, and trying to juggle, you know, kids and jobs and careers and education and all the things that for a long time they were held back from that, that was men's role, right? <laughs> Their role was to go out in the world and do whatever. I mean, go back to hunter gatherers, whatever you want to refer to, but when it started, it kind of changed to me. I mean, in, in human time quickly, right? So like in the late seventies, maybe it was all of a sudden, like somebody turned on a light switch and it was driven by economics. No one could afford to stay home anymore, but it's, I feel like men didn't get a, a, I don't know, a guidebook or they weren't, I mean, it wasn't ever talked about like now, what are men's roles? Do you agree with that? And then, and you're still kind of feeling the effects of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, again, from my experience growing up, it, like Jeremy said, like that's, you were just given this role. And that's how you're expected to perform. Uh, and you, and you, and we still, I mean, we still see it in today, right? I mean, there are some guys who talk to us who are like, what you guys are doing is really great. And I really respect that. And that's really cool. And then there's other people who use some explicit words to describe us. Right. And that's, that's cool. That's their opinion. Um, but I mean, I would love to not the breadwinner i would love to stay home <laughs> i mean i i don't mind like 
I, I love the weekends for like projects and doing laundry and cleaning my house. Like I love doing those things. Um, but, uh, you're right. It's, it's, but it is changing. And to go back to what Jeremy was saying about like being vulnerable <clears throat> and the help will show up. What we're trying to do with the show is we're being vulnerable to show other people that they can be to show other people that, Oh, that thing that I've been kind of suffering from that I refuse to voice because of all of this programming that I've had, I can't voice. Wait a minute. They just voiced it. That means I can voice it. So it goes both ways, right? Being vulnerable helps you. But anytime you're vulnerable, you're probably making an impact on somebody else and hopefully like breaking that mold and breaking that down. I think things are changing. Um, I think people my age and Jeremy's age, um, we had that programming. I think boys today are getting a a very different kind of a programming. It's very it's mixed. Um, I've you know just in in the younger boys that I know, like they know it's okay to cry. They know it's okay to to do these things. And I'm I'm hopeful that in like you know 20, 30, 40 years, like what Jeremy and I talk about on a daily is the norm and whether the man works, the woman works or, or whatever it happens to be, people are like, cool. Like, and just, and just accept it. So I, I think it will, I think it is changing. It will change. And it's just going to take time. These are the kind of th- kinds of things, these beliefs that I say this all the time, and I know it sounds horrible, but these are the kinds of things that we really just need to give it time and let it breed out, right? You're never going to change somebody's mind about some of these things. But what you can do is go back to the beginning and change, you know, the kids who are alive today. And later on, it'll it'll all change. But it doesn't change Jeremy and I's childhood of, you know, oh, you chopped your arm off? Well, I'll just rub some dirt in it and get up and move along. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. I, I see it in my grandson. So he's, you know, a, a teenager, early teens. But it's completely different than any any males I was around, you know, when I was growing up. Um, but I also think that, well, I'm going to ask, I'm going to say one thing and ask you something. So I think if you're vulnerable, if you show vulnerability, it improves your relationships with everyone, or maybe not with the people who are adamant that you've lost your minds. But I'm saying as far as, you know, your personal relationships, I think it makes you more effective as a speaker because people see that you're willing to open up. So it does kind of give that affirmation that it's fine. This is a safe space. Um, and then I also think that it's important, and I don't know how you would describe this, but I mean, has anything terrible happened to you? Did lightning strike because you allowed yourself to be vulnerable? Like there's this huge fear of like, you know, what's going to happen if I do it? So can you, can you address that? What's coming up for me with that? I've actually been doing some work for the last few months. There's a, a, a group that I'm a part of and we get together once a month. And the point of it is vulnerability. There, there's this agreed uh, there's this agreement that we all have that we come into this space and everything that we work through on each other has nothing to do with that person. They are literally the stand in for whatever the thing is I need to work on. And it's incredible because I mean, it it is pure raw vulnerability, like deepest, darkest pain kind of stuff that you just, someone stands in as your mom, someone stands in as your dad, someone stands in as the, the boyfriend that hurts you, whatever. And, and you just get that stuff out just through physical movement, through screaming, crying, whatever the thing is. And it's incredible. This group that I'm in, there's 10 of us. And 
this bond forms immediately with these people that I, I, most of them, I don't know their last name. I don't know where they live. I don't know what their family structure. I know nothing about them, like demographically, social, like I know nothing, but I know their pain. And the bond that I have with them is incredible. Like, I, like there's, there's just this connection with them that is unlike thing. I, unlike anything I have with most people contrast that with friends I've had for years. I know their names. I know their kids. I know their moms. I know where they grew up. I know where they went to school, but we get together and we talk about recipes, right? Like we talk about like kind of mundane things. So that is just such a glaring example to me of like, when you really, when you get really real and it's tough, like you're not going to show up at a dinner party and just start crying about, you know, your childhood, that would be weird. Right. But if you can create those relationships and you can create those bonds with people where you can be that open and that vulnerable, that, that bond gets harder and harder to break and it becomes more and more impactful and meaningful, meaningful for you because it feeds both of you to be able to help someone through their pain like that. And to be able to process your own through that relationship. I don't know if I, I mean, years of therapy don't touch what, what we do in this group. And so that I think just speaks that to me highlights how important it is to be vulnerable because it just also creates those deeper connections with other people. And if we're not here to connect with other people, like what are we all doing here? Yeah. And if I, if I could just add into that, you know, just your question of like, has lightning struck when you've been vulnerable? And the answer is yes, but in a good way. Um, I, I, you know, we talked about being vulnerable and the answer shows up, but also sometimes you're vulnerable and the things that need to leave you go. Right. So just as an example, my, my wife and I divorced last year. We were together for 20 years. We got vulnerable. We basically, we just, we, we told each other how we felt, how we were feeling internally. And we discussed it and we talked it through at length. And we decided, you know, between the two of us, like, we don't love each other anymore. We got vulnerable and we, we split up and we divorced. And yes, there was a painful moment and, you know, it was change and there's a whole different side to that, but that was a wonderful freeing thing for both of us. We are now both living a life that we're happy with, that we're comfortable with. So yes, lightning struck because we were vulnerable, but for a good, for a good reason. So it, I haven't had a vulnerable moment or done something with my vulnerability that in the long run has ended badly for me because in the moment, yes, sometimes it's a little bit rough and it's challenging, but you give it enough time and you go, oh yeah, that was the right choice. That was the right thing to happen to me. Like no matter how painful it was. So, so yes, lightning has struck, but it's been very short lived and it was really, you know, like sunshine and rainbows at the end. I'm glad. Um, I, and I want to say too, it, women have this issue too. I mean, I think we're conditioned, especially in this country, you know, to have a face out in public. And I know, um, a lot of people are very, really are afraid of it. And I will say the first time I was ever completely vulnerable in, in a live event, which was, I was already nervous, but I thought, well, I'm asking them to make changes. So I, I need to be honest. And I sort of just, my very first workshop told some really personal, painful things that had happened. And I thought I was fine. And then I got in my car to drive home and I burst into tears. And it wasn't, it wasn't that lightning struck. It was, I, it was almost like a First, it was like, what have I done? You know, why did I just open up that much to a room full of strangers? But then the second thing was, it was almost a relief or a release after holding so much in for so long and trying to 
find examples that didn't touch on, you know, something personal. And so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to imply it's easy in any way for anybody, but I think yeah. you just, whether you ease into it or jump into it, like I did, I think you start to realize the connection between people is so much stronger and you can have so much more of an impact. So um, I commend you both because I'm sure it's been a journey to get there, but I do think it's really helpful to people. So thank you. Well, we're running out of time. So um, I I guess I'd like to close by asking you uh, maybe to just uh, anything you want to share about the podcast with my listeners and then how they can find the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think it, with our podcast, you'll find conversation much like this, just very real, very authentic, just sharing our struggles, the obstacles we face, and not only how we overcome them, but why it's so important. I mean, so much of this whole life experience is about discovering what the obstacle is and working through it. There's no way around it. You just have to get through it. And recognizing that life will always have struggle. One of the, the this is one of the fallacies of self-help and all the stuff that we all seek out. We're seeking happiness and peace and relief and calm and all these things. If our life was always that, it would be really boring really fast. So, accept the suck. Know that it's going to be a challenge your entire life. But look for ways to make each step a little bit easier. Uh, and you can do that through our podcast. It's at thefitmess.com or on this podcast player or right here on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube. Great. And we will drop uh, the link to it. And I want to just clarify. So it's the fit mess, not fitness, right? Correct. Fit mess. So highlighting the mess of uh, the work that it takes to get all this stuff done. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both, um, Zachary and, I mean, Zach and Jeremy uh, for sharing today. And I, I really do uh, definitely recommend the podcast. I enjoyed it. I've, I've heard, I've listened through one full one and part of another one. So I plan to go back and hear more. Thank you. And I just appreciate you joining us today and sharing. Yeah, thank Thanks you so for much. Us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Until next time, I encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities. Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing, from washing dishes to work tasks to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like the Daily Meditation Podcast, Everything Everywhere, and Movie Therapy. We deeply appreciate your support at patreon.com slash a mindful moment. Please be sure to subscribe to A Mindful Moment and follow us on Instagram at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access podcasts, scripts, and book recommendations. A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee and or Melissa Sims. The Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions, 